Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of TV Black Box, the great debate fails to impress. Which Loki winning actress has given up the glitz and glamour? And ABC News Breakfast breaks a 13-year streak. It's the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. TV Black Box, the podcast, starts now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello there and welcome to TV Black Box, the podcast. I'm your host, David Robinson. Great to be with you wherever you may be listening. I'm stepping in for Rob McKnight, but never fear if you're a fan of the big man. And let's face it, who is it? He joins us now live and on location. Robert, where are you? Uh, I am on a special assignment. Uh, I'm just driving down to Sydney, so I'm in my car. I pulled into a rest stop. And I love it how you said if there are any fans out there. I think we can rule that out, Robbo. There are people that tolerate me. People that tolerate me, my friend. And we will meet some of those people who tolerate you in a moment. But first, it was during this week in television history that saw the final episode of Laverne and Shirley Go to Wear. The smash hit comedy was a spin-off of Happy Days and became the most watched American TV show in its third season. It premiered in 1978 and aired 178 episodes over eight seasons on ABC America. I did not watch a frame of it. All right, let's meet the rest of the panel now. Please welcome Aaron Ryan, Philip Kosh, Sarah Monaghan and Matthew Simmons. Good day to you all. Let's get straight into it. All right, well, the second leaders debate was held on the Nine Network. And if it was a political party, it would have been voted out. From journalists to politicians and, of course, the viewers, it was widely slammed. Both leaders shouted over each other. An online poll simply didn't work for most people and many thought the questions just weren't up to scratch. Even Nine's own Ben Fordham said it was messy, awkward and a shambles and it wouldn't rate. That prompted one of the debate's panellists, Chris Yulman, to tweet that Fordham should get his facts straight. It did rate 641,000, which helped Nine to win the night. Aaron, I watched a little bit of it, and it was pretty all over the place. I saw a few tweets that said, uh, is there even a moderator on this, which might have been a little unfair to Sarah Arbo, but it was still pretty all over the place. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it was pretty fair to Sarah Arbo, actually. I mean, there was some some flack given to Elbow and ScoMo for talking over each other and interrupting Sarah, Sarah. But however... Unfortunately, it does come down to the moderator that they need to be experienced and, and make the hard calls to, uh, to, to interrupt as necessary and get, get the flow moving. Mm. Rob, was uh, the right call to have Sarah Arbo on the side of them instead of the more traditional front on? Would that have made a difference? Yeah, it would have. The setup was all wrong. The moderator was essentially behind the Prime Minister. I know she was at the side, but when he had his 
back to her talking to Albanese, he's not paying any attention to a moderator. I know they were using existing sets. That's fine. What they tried to do was use the big uh, screen graphic behind the two leaders and instead of thinking about what works from a debate point of view. I've never known a debate to have no eye contact with the moderator where she can look them in the eye and say, enough. So what they needed to do was move them a little bit around so that they could have more eye contact or even put her where the cameras were and give put up a wall. Uh, one wall is all it would have taken to give her a background. They could have had the over-the-shoulder shots of her, a camera looking at her, uh, the panel at the side asking questions, no problem, because they didn't need to interrupt. They could draw attention when it was needed. But it was a hot mess from a, 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 that point of view, which took away her authority and, and has actually taken, given her a hit on her credibility, which I think is undeserved. What ended up happening was that she was trying to let some things go so that we got a bit of biff, but then... I can imagine the producer was in her ear saying, you've got to stop them. This is getting out of control. And she started interrupting the wrong points when we were actually getting answers from them, which is the first time probably in this campaign when they were challenging each other, she pulled that back and that was the wrong time to do it. So I think there were a lot of problems with the format. Can politicians work to a, a, a 50 second, one minute rule? I don't think they can. But if you're going to do that, you need the option to cut mics, have a horn like boop, or uh, a, a bell or something. Uh, none of those smoke and mirror things were in place to help her take control. Yeah. Uh, now, Philip, you obviously remember the wonderful thing that is the worm. Do you think the worm should have come back? Oh, yeah, there's been some debate about it. Look, I think it may, makes these things interesting. You know, it was something we were all fixated on, well, probably too long ago to remember now. But I also think we're used to really seeing slick productions of this sort of thing from America. You know, we all know a lot more about American politics now. So it just well, it didn't work. We've, we've already discussed that. It, it was difficult to understand. They were talking over each other. Uh, I think they could have added graphics. There's been a lot of criticism on social media that things weren't fact-checked. Uh, but, again, it makes it a much, much bigger production. And I don't know. Well, I think that's really unfair, Philip, because if you look at the American debates, you had Donald Trump talking all over Joe Biden at the last uh, series of debates and Hillary Clinton back when uh, he was running against her. I don't think from a, from a style point of view there was any difference, but can I just say one thing about the worm? The politicians won't agree to any debates that include the worm. The worm is dead because they believe it gives an unfair advantage that the audience picked and whatever they determine is presumpted to be the, the winner of the debate. And they would actually like to open it up into interpretation, whereas the worm is a definitive thing. They don't like it at all, and especially incumbent governments because the worm is usually against them. But the online poll that they had didn't work from the moment that they asked people to scan the QR code. Uh, I tried yeah. for the most part that I was watching for it, and it just didn't work. There were also reports across Twitter and videos of people saying that they could try and click Albanese, wouldn't work, then they'd click Morris and it, and it would work. Uh, you know, Matthew, should they have <laughs> shut down that online poll because it didn't work the whole night for most people, but they kept advertising it. And they even used it the next day to say initially that uh, Scott Morrison had won. Then they revised that and said, no, we're still counting votes. Albanese did come in uh, soon after. Should that have just been dropped straight away? 
I, I definitely think it should have. I mean, the results just aren't going to be 100% genuine. Um, you know, I think what you're referring to with the, with the Morrison thing, there was a, a moment where I had coalition, Labour, coalition. And, and yes. that's just that's just sparked, you know, heaps of conspiracy theories, which I, I don't think, obviously, that Nine would want to favour one side, whether you think that they do in media or not, but more so, there should have been a hung uh, option there. But I, I think... They should have just abandoned it and maybe do something after the fact. But they were also running it during the debate. How many people logged on um, halfway through, couldn't get through, and thought, oh, well, stuff it. I'm not going to do it at all. That that could be 20%, 30% of the viewership that wanted to vote. Um, but if, if you just dropped it and you left it to something that was maybe just on Twitter or just do your social media, it, you, you might be, it might be a less much of a sample space, but it, therefore, if it works, at least it's a little bit more genuine. I think if there had have been a hung option, it might have been a bit more interesting. You better believe it would be. <laughs> I'll give that my vote. Moving on. There's some spoilers coming up about Killing Eve, so skip if you need to now. When it comes to TV, we all love a good death scene. From tragic shocks to timely storytelling devices, main character deaths are prevalent in almost every dramatic television show, whether popular with the viewers or not. But there's a particular trope beginning in the last few years about which characters meet an ultimate deathly demise that's angering a large TV fan base. For some, it seems that, more often than not, gay characters wind up dead, and it's even got a name for it. Bury your gaze. The fourth season of Killing Eve recently wrapped and lead character Villanelle was shot dead in the final episode. But what adds insult to injury for many fans was that this death happened just after Villanelle finally began a relationship with the other main character, Eve. Something fans have been anticipating to happen for quite some time. The same can be said for many newly declared lesbian characters such as Lexa in The 100, Tara in Buffy or even Bee in Australia's own Wentworth. The bury your gaze trope gained traction during the 2015-2016 television season where according to Vox, 20 lesbian characters who appeared in three episodes or more were killed off. It's something that seems to blow up when it occurs but is quickly swept under the carpet once the fanfare dies down. But is this a real problem in fictional television? Sarah, what do you think? Are we killing off our lesbians too soon? I think that they had to switch from always killing off the black, the black character first. It became a joke that they always killed off the black... The, whoever the black guy driver was, he was the first guy to die. So now they're like, okay, well, we can't do that anymore. Let's go after the gays. Mm. And, and in particular, the lesbians. Uh, Aaron, uh, they, they always seem to get a rough trot, don't they? But should we be keeping our lesbians alive in television? Well, of course we should, but I don't. I don't think it is is gay characters, though. It is sort of what Sarah was saying. It's about token characters: the token gay, the token Asian, the token black. You know, if they put token characters into TV shows or movies, they're, they're usually the first to get killed off. So, I mean, until token characters become front and centre, then nothing will change. But I think things are starting to change. We are actually seeing. Um, gay people, Asian, black, whatever, uh, in, in lead roles now. So they're starting to not be killed off, which is nice. That's fair enough. And, and Rob, there were rumours that Molly was actually a lesbian in her country practice. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're really now at the peak situation where we're looking for problems. Uh, this is just complete bullshit. This is not an issue. Characters die on TV and movies all the time. It's a cheap way of 
getting storylines and getting heartstrings and getting headlines. The, the, the representation now is not represented the way we want because they've been involved in big drama scenes where they get killed. You know what? There's, there's Oscars in getting killed. There's Emmys in getting killed. There's even a Logie for the poor Aussie actors. Um, but this, the fact is we're seeing more representation on our screens than ever before and to a point now where you don't even think twice if the lead character is gay or lesbian. And, and there's even um, lesbian overtones in Doctor Who currently with Jodie Whittaker and uh, her companion Yaz. And nobody thinks twice about it. Well, I certainly don't, and I don't think many people are also. The simple fact is, if you want characters of any sexual pers- persuasion to be a main part of the storyline, Death is one of those main storylines that works in many, many films and TV shows. Enjoy the fact there's representation. All right. Moving on now, Loki award-winning actress Jessica Murray has been spotted working as a waitress in Sydney. Photos and video were posted in both Daily Mail and the Daily Telegraph. The images show Ms Murray delivering orders and wiping down tables. The Logie Award winner stepped away from acting in 2018 to focus on her mental health. However, many people are questioning, is this an invasion of privacy? Sarah Monaghan, you've been in the spotlight for decades. Is this a problem or does it just come with the territory? I want to know how the fuck her waiting tables is news. Every waitress and waiter at some point has worked in a restaurant. It's a, it's, a, it's a joke even in movies in Hollywood that everyone works as a waiter. I worked as a waiter and then I went to the back of house because it was easier than when people go, you used of to be like on news. television and really famous and like now you serve tables. Um, so yeah. like people were assholes. But working in the back of the house is much more fun anyway but it's not news everybody does it and like i looked at when i looked at this story there was like a like eight different stories about her that they've been stalking her this year so obviously someone at the daily mail has a hard on for her but it's or you know her hang on and news corp this wasn't just the daily mail it was news corp as well and the fact is this was one of the biggest stars on australian television the fact that she is waiting tables is a story And, and look I've never met her, but I'm such a fan of hers and I wish her nothing but the best. But to suggest this isn't a story is disingenuous because as someone... But it, it, for, like Australian actors don't get paid that much. So even if you are on a TV show, unless you are making money on the side doing like endorsements and stuff, you've probably got to have a job in between seasons sure. of whatever you're working on anyway. And most people work as waiters because it's easy and you can get, take a job. And as soon as you get an audition, you can be like, I can't come in today. It's much easier than a nine to five office job where you can just, you can, you know, come in and come out. Let me ask you, Matthew, uh, I think one of the problems that some people have is because she actually stepped away from the spotlight. It's not like that she wasn't getting work anymore. She was in Pact of the Rafters uh, and she was meant to come back for the reboot. She did step away a few times from other projects because of mental health and and she cited that as, as the main reason. Is that then an invasion of privacy if you step away on your own terms? Oh, it's such a tough one because I, I am in two heads about it. Like, I agree that, like, if you go into the spotlight, like, that's just kind of the path that you've taken and, and you have to be subject to paparazzi. I mean, we saw it with Lisa Wilkinson. Um, but, as you say, she has dealt with a lot of mental health problems and it's just... It's just tough. Like, I just I just I can't imagine being that, being that person and, and seeing 
myself getting photographed. I was like, I've, this is exactly what I avoided. But then uh, it, it, it's such a tough one. I, like I'm, in, I'm in two heads about it. But I do think it is news because it's not someone working and then kind of getting really big stardom. Like Jessica Murray was a pretty huge Australian actor. She was Gold Logie nominee multiple times she was sometimes at the logies she would be nominated for two different shows because she would do two different shows within a television season so she, she has she's probably one of our bigger recent actors in, in in australian television but i do think she deserves the right to privacy but i'm not surprised that this is what's happened all right, so Philip, you, you were in magazines and you uh, would, would, is this something that just happens? Once you uh, caught, the, caught the devil, it is the spotlight and the camera, uh, is this just something that follows you around? Is this just what happens? It's part of the deal. Look, it is and it isn't, is the honest truth. Um, I think there's a lot of respect for people who don't play the fame game. You know, for example, we tended not to run shots. You know, we, we found it intrusive that shots of, celebrity parents with their kids if they weren't those same parents taking say their kids to red carpet events and things so you know there, there, there is a sort of a a weird set of rules to it um she was working at a public cafe so i think that's fair game that said um there's been many examples of celebrities seeking treatment or whatever uh, where they they're either not papped or no one would actually um uh, buy the pictures, or very few people would. I, I do feel sorry for her. I think she's her issue is that she didn't handle the fame. She loved acting and probably still does, but she hated being a celebrity. She had mental issues as a direct result of that. So I don't know. I, I would hope the magazine editors might sort of have show a bit of heart in this instance and leave her alone. But that said, the paps probably won't. So um, I don't know what the right or wrong of it is, but yes, she's probably signed on for life, unfortunately. Aaron, you've been shaking your head a little bit on the screen here. What are your thoughts? I, I feel really uncomfortable about the article and even talking about it, to be honest. We're in 2022 and we understand more than ever about people's mental health concerns. Now, she's not been able to work in the acting industry for her own reasons and with health concerns and stuff. That must be making it worse, having a photographer and people putting her pictures in the Daily Mail, News Corp, wherever it is, highlighting the fact that she's just a waitress now. She's trying to get on with her life and move on. And I just think it's it's a disgrace to to highlight someone like that um, in that kind of situation. I, I, I feel uncomfortable about it, to be honest. Yeah, Aaron, I, I've got to say, I, I felt the same way. When I saw who it was, I thought, oh, this is just a bit much, knowing why she quit the industry. Um, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm so hats off to her because when you come from somewhere like that, or, or, you know, the, the glamour, I guess, of television, and then people might look down at you for being in a, in a restaurant. They shouldn't. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying that they should. But uh, they just seemed something a little icky to me as well about someone who was very open about mental health. She's had to pull away from the career she's loved. And now it's almost like she's being shamed a little bit for working in a restaurant. I mean, if she was working as a real estate agent or as a teacher or any other job that wasn't where she could be publicly photographed, would that be news? Or is it just because people yes, do look down on Yes, it has been workers? in the past. When there have been stars that have become real estate agents, that has made news. This is the fact. We see these people in such positions. We think they're rich, and these stories show that they're struggling just like us. And like you, Robbo, I would like to see her make a full recovery to the TV industry. It's a sad journey what she's been through, but it is news.
Well, we've been talking about sports rights and the potential of them heading to streaming channels. Last week, Labor leader Anthony Albanese threw support behind the free TV industry for the federal anti-siphoning list to be renewed and expanded to guard against iconic sports being exclusively locked behind the paywalls of subscription, streaming and pay TV services. Well, that didn't go down well with Foxtel, who hit back at the opposition leader, saying the legislation is providing unfair protection for a declining industry. A spokesperson told TV Black Box, the Foxtel Group believes the anti-siphoning list is inherently anti-competitive and Australian audiences would benefit from a fundamental review of the outdated protections that are in place for free-to-air television. <laughs> Foxtel, a pay TV provider, has of course supported women's and underrepresented sports by making them available for free on KO Sports. Considering how much sport Foxtel has provided for Australians, often because all free-to-air networks have passed on airing some events, should any party campaigning for government really be looking to tightening the anti-siphoning list? Philip, what's your take on Foxtel slamming the Labor Party for throwing their support behind free-to-air TV? Is it just, is it just more bashing from News Corp? Well, no, I, th I think there's a much bigger underlying issue and I think petty politics are definitely playing a role here. Murdoch Press have been bashing Albo and the Labor Party since, you know, forever and a day, but definitely during this election campaign. And I, I don't think it's inconceivable that Albo's done this quite deliberately to say, fuck you, basically. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He's got nothing to lose. They're not going to support him in his bid to become Prime Minister. But I think this this was a very a shot over the bow to say, hey, calm it down or I will take something very precious away from you. Matthew, look, there's no denying that our audiences are going down on free-to-wear. Is this just one of those things where we have to start looking forward and saying, you know, they need to be, there needs to be no anti-siphoning list? Yeah, I think definitely. I think we need to accept reality. Um, and, you know, I'll give it to Albanese, champion the free-to-air, because, I mean, who doesn't want to see free-to-air succeed? The, the fact is, that's just not what's happening. Um, so, so Foxtel, Netflix, they're the, they're the way that we're going. And um, I, I think we need to accept reality and, and embrace it, really, uh, like we do with a lot of things that, that are changing. That, that's the way the world is going, and I think we just need to accept it. Aaron, free-to-wear TV is a, is a leaky boat. Is chucking out the anti-siphoning list pulling out too many plugs in the hole too quickly? No, well, I've completely changed my mind on this one. I was a big supporter um, under the premise of keeping big sports on free-to-wear. I mean, we should, we should all be able to see the AFL Grand Final, all that, kind of uh, all that kind of stuff. However, the list does not guarantee that any sport will be on free-to-wear. It just gives free-to-wear the opportunity to bid, usually at a much lower price than what the sport would get. So, you know, the Formula One Australian race is on the anti-siphoning list. If none of the networks want it, um, they don't want to stump up the cash, then Foxtel will get it exclusively. So the fact that that sport or that race is on the anti-siphoning list means nothing if, if the networks don't want it. So it's about the networks not wanting it or the, net, the, the networks wanting to have first dibs, the networks wanting to put up the, a, a cheaper cash first that's what it, that, that's why they want it to be uh, to keep the anti-siphoning list. So I mean, I, I think it should be done like this: have the sports on the anti-siphoning list, and straight away the first year, if 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 no network picks up, for example, the Formula One, 
uh, Australian one and do, don't pick it up, it just gets wiped, wiped off the list. If the networks don't want to, they're not going to wait five years' time just so some big super, superstar in the motorsport industry, um, you know, is gets in and they think, oh, we really want this race now, and they'll, they'll get it just because of the anti-siphoning list. Either they want it on the list or they don't. And if they're not going to use it, then give it give it to Foxtel or to the streamers. Use it or lose it. Is that right, Rob? Yeah, I actually think that's a really good idea from Aaron, that if, if there's a year where the sport isn't accepted, they lose it. I don't have a problem with that at all. What I do have a problem with is the idea that major sports in this country are taken away from free-to-air because you are suddenly forcing people into buying a product that they used to get for free. So if you want to see the AFL or NRL grand final, suddenly you're now having to stump up cash to see it where we haven't been in this space before. Politically, it's not going to fly with voters. This is a good bet from Albanese. And, and what it does, we've been going around in circles a little bit on TV Black Box about the idea how does the anti-siphoning list sit with it when it comes to streamers? Well, this has answered this question. They are literally outside the anti-siphoning list. So, yes, as we were theorising and our, our, we had come to a group consensus that, that this that was indeed the fact and it turns out we were right, but it is a game-changer that they can bypass the traditional free-to-airs and the anti-siphoning list. I think making sure that an NFL, NRL and AFL grand final can be played on free-to-air TV and the main games and the state of origins is absolutely key. This is a good policy. And it's great to have some thoughts there from a true sport lover. Um, just watch out on Twitter for Rob's amazing analysis <laughs> of uh, NRL Don't rules. Don't be an arsehole. I like my sport occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. All righty. Uh, let's have a look now at ratings. Things are getting repetitive, but here it is. Seven wins. The share last week with a 32.1%. Nine is second on 27%. Ten is in third place at 17 ABC on 15.6 and 8.3 for SBS. Same story as last week in primary with seven in first place, nine in second place, ABC in third and ten backing up with fourth. Seven two and seven mate ties the top multi-channels for the week. Seven news beats nine news. Sunrise beats today, but the big story is that even ABC News Breakfast is beating nines today. Ouch. It's a new week now and The Voice maintained its lead on Sunday night. However, Big Brother didn't fire out of the gate with an overnight audience just under 500,000 with Lego and MasterChef just over 500,000. The uncanny thing is that 7.30 and Australian Story on the ABC have beat them all. What the hell is going on? How can this be, <laughs> team? Let's try and make some sense of this. Robert, first to you. What is going on or is it just... Is it just good programming and, and good content from the ABC that's, I don't know, weirdly making people watch it? Uh, look, 7.30, you could put down to being in the throes of an election and you could even apply that same logic to the resurgence of News Breakfast. But why this is a problem for Nine is that Nine's always seen itself as a news leader. So they would hope during an election campaign that people would be turning to them but it looks like people are turning to the ABC. And, of course, we, we say all this knowing Sunrise is still number one. Uh, you know, that's almost like uh, set and forget. Sunrise is number one, so we're talking about number two and three here. Having a full week where News Breakfast Beats today is huge. What we've also got to look at in primetime is no show's painting itself in glory. Um, you know, when we're talking about the biggest shows getting a touch over 500,000 on the overnights, five cap cities, 
where where is that leaving TV? You know, that would have been a disaster. Even a, a few months ago when we were talking up compared maths, uh, up against maths and, and MasterChef was getting a touch under 500, we were like, mm, this isn't great. But they're all levelling out there. So so what's, what's the answer for free-to-air TV? You know, is ABC having a steady stream of news-based programming when news breaks, people are turning to the ABC? And are our entertainment offerings just not cutting it? So, Aaron, I've said before on this podcast that we need to just adjust what we believe to be a hit now, uh, and that is the numbers just aren't what they used to be. So I think a lot of people are still in the habit of saying, oh, it's just not getting the big numbers, but these are these numbers now the big numbers, and are we just having to adapt more quickly than we have before with what, a, what constitutes a big number? Well, on one hand, we do need to think about, obviously, total TV. Um, some of these shows will get bump, bumps of 30, 40, 50, maybe 60% in some cases. But, I mean, I usually like to research some of the topics and the ratings, and I I honestly cannot come up with an answer. I understand if Big Brother didn't fire out of the gate and, you know, the ratings were down and, you know, everyone decided to watch MasterChef and Lego Masters, but these networks are spending millions of dollars on these shows these are the tent poles as they call them yet the australian public preferred an episode of australian story i, I just find that um i i cannot Aaron, exp- yeah can, can i can i just ask with big brother i i've been driving down today but i thought i saw something pop up seven talking about drawing in younger audiences is that the risk you take when you have a program like Big Brother, even though there's a nostalgia angle to that, and I, I have called it the best series ever. I, I think this season is brilliant. But when you start having a show that skews younger, you're alienating the older audience because I, I can imagine older viewers don't like the concept of Big Brother uh, or what they've known of Big Brother. So, But a network wants younger viewers for advertisers. So there's a balance here, isn't there? Yeah, I'm not sure whether they were necessarily, you know, trying to chase the younger audience, though, with this Big Brother. I mean, a lot of people think that Home and Away, for example, uh, has, a you know, young people, a lower demographic. It's actually, yep. quite, actually got quite a high audience, older demographic, uh, Home and Away. I mean, so, so Big Brother, it's just interesting that... I would have thought there would have been, a, you know, people in their 40s, you know, that sort of 35, 45... You know that that knew this show twenty years ago. That would have been into yeah. the show plus, plus the new ones. But again, I, I come back to the fact though that they didn't. Even, no one even switched over and watched Master Chef and Lego Masters. Really, those shows didn't really move. I mean, you know, more people were watching, as I said, seven thirty in Australian Story. So it's just interesting. Obviously, when we come to, to total TV, then all three shows will probably go past. Obviously, seven thirty in Australian Story. But it's just interesting, isn't it? How We've, we've got to a point where Australian Story beats everything on the commercial channels, and these are the million-dollar tentpole mm. shows. Mm. Well, a very wise Barry Crocker once said, everybody needs good neighbours, and many of our favourites are returning to Ramsey Street for the soap's final episode. We already know Kylie and Jason will be making an appearance, and now Network 10 has announced more names sent to pop over for a visit. Ian Smith, Daniel McPherson, Melissa Bell, Natalie Bassingthwaite, and many more will revisit the show that made them famous. The final episode will be number 8,903 and will be the 37th year it's been on our screens. Philip, it's truly the end of an era. Do you think 10 should surely 
do the right thing and honour it by putting it onto the main channel for the final eps. Oh, definitely. And and they've also got to promote it the right way. You know, there's a lot of people like me. I've never watched Neighbours. I would so watch that last week of episodes. And I think a lot of Australians would, even if you didn't watch it. It's part of our national fabric now, isn't it? So, yes, I definitely think it should be on the main channel. Uh, I think it's beyond saving beyond that, unfortunately. But I think you'll be surprised with how many people will tune in for that final week. Not only can they promo, promo it well and put it on their main channel, but, like, this is a chance to get ratings. Like, if everyone, if, if, if we're right in thinking that a lot of people would tune in, whether they know the show or not, or, or, or want to see, come back after years of not watching it and see Kylie Minogue and co., this is a chance to get some possibly monumental ratings. It, it seems like a no-brainer to me to to put it on the main channel. Why relegate it to, to 10 Peach? I mean, we're lucky to see it even catch up to the UK and us see it first because there was concerns for a while there that it was just going to air in the UK before it even got to Australia. Like it has been, well, I don't know if it's caught up now, but like it was going to uh, for, for much of this year. Um, so just make it an event, like really turn it into something and maybe 10 will get some ratings for once. <laughs> well, here's, here's my take. I, I'm, I'm wondering, everyone is saying you should be on the main channel. Do 10 believe it would rate for the final series when Kylie's on and everything like that? Or are they just embarrassed because this show has gone and they've had no say over it? Because when this story first broke, I literally said, uh, the show's dead. And everyone's like, no, no, 10 saving it. And I kept saying, 10 doesn't have the money to save the show. And I do not see how an in- another international broadcaster is going to come along and pick up the tab. But the simple fact is, if 10 were smart, you would air this thing at 6 o'clock or you would, you would even use the project around it, run it at 6.30 if you were worried about being up against the, the first part of the news, and then have a live reunion with some of the stars afterwards to talk about the impact. You could literally turn this into a night. And if you want to promote the project to try and get more audience to sample these hosts, you could absolutely have the final episode. The curtain goes down. The project's up here talking about our favourite memories of Neighbours. We've got Ian Smith, Kylie Minogue and, and all the people involved with Neighbours over the years for this mofo, this outrageous reunion and, I mean, te- I just can't understand how that wouldn't get you a big ratings. You, spon- you get sponsors. People would want to advertise in it. I-, I just don't understand why this isn't happening. This is like, uh, Matthew used the words, a no-brainer. My only theory, possibly, is are they making it a, a last-minute call? Because if you call it now, it's a couple months away, people go, oh, it's going to be on the main channel, great. But if you do it within just a, a couple of weeks, yeah. does that give it some? And you go, oh, my God, it's the greatest finale, whether it is or not, doesn't matter. But by making a last-minute decision, yeah. does that even appeal more viewers, potentially? Yeah, I think that's a very good call and would be a smart way to play it. I just hope that's what they end up doing. It would be the right thing to do for Channel 10 to put Neighbours on. It would be the right ending, the right setting for it, and it would uh, it would give it the respect that it deserves, I think. Mm-hmm. All right, still to come on TV hey, Black Robert. Box. Uh, oh, yes, Robert. I've got to go, mate. I'm sorry. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been lovely being in your warm embrace, and uh, uh, I can't <laughs> wait to talk to you all next week. I appreciate it, Robert. Thank you so much for joining us and safe travels out there. Thank you, people. <laughs> people. <laughs>
All right, still to come on TV Black Box, changes to the newsrooms at the ABC and Nine, Australia's Eurovision spokesperson revealed, and the new doctor making history. We'll find out what Dr Harry is up to. We'll also find out what everyone has been watching when we open the TV binge box. All that and more right after this. Did we just kill off a gay character? Yeah. <laughs> we certainly did. Oh, poor Rob McKnight. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, it's time for Hatches and Dispatches. The ABC's new director of news has been busily assembling his team at the National Broadcaster. Gavin Fang has been given the new role of deputy director of news, head of national and international. He'll work alongside Lisa Whitby, who after being with the specialist reporting team, will now be managing editor of national and international. Joe Puccini now heads up investigative journalism and current affairs, and Stuart Watt will now lead news editorial strategy. Two new players are set to join Nine News Sydney's sports desk. James Bracey will deliver all the scores through the week alongside Peter Overton and Ros Kelly will saddle up next to Georgie Gardner for the next weekends. Bracey will continue to host NRL and Kelly will host Sports Sunday. It's that time of the year again. The world is gearing up for the Eurovision Song Contest. Superstar Courtney Act has been named Australia's spokesperson. She'll reveal our scores to Europe this coming Sunday. The judges include Dylan Lewis, comedian Matt Bocchini, and Triple J host Bridget Hustwaite. And finally, sex education star Shuti Gatwa has been named the new doctor set to take charge of the TARDIS. He will be the 14th Doctor Who, replacing Jodie Whittaker, and makes history as the first black actor to take on the role. The new series will debut on the BBC next year. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Sarah, thank you. TV binge box now, which means it's time to have a bow peep through everyone's watch history. Aaron, what's on your box? Oh, Robbo wants to look into my binge box. Lovely. Uh, well, first up, I watched... and I'm, Robbo, I'm sure you would have watched this one, the Seven News Spotlight on Sunday night. Um, it was a catch-up with all the yesteryear stars, Tony Barber, Rowena Wallace, Greg Evans, all those kind of ones. So that was a... Um, yeah, that, that was a bit of fun. So that's still on 7 Plus um, for that. Big Brother, massive, huge. Um, it's so much fun having the OGs back in. Um, you know, throwing in a plug. I'll be interviewing every housemate as they get evicted. Uh, so the first one uh, will is, is up on there now. So 
This particular person was completely unfiltered on the show and is definitely unfiltered in this podcast. So check it out. And also worth uh, one other thing to promote as well, sorry, is Celebrity Apprentice is back on, on 9 on May the 22nd. I'll be chatting with the big man, former NRL star, Ninja Warrior Guy uh, Aloni. Look out for that next week, uh, probably. I'll probably put it up on Sunday or Monday. But still loving the Chief Seats, Mayans, um, Barons, Gaslit and Gordon Ram. 24 hours to Helen back. So that's been me. Excellent. Nice work. Philip, what have you been watching? Uh, well, not very much would be the honest truth. Um, though I did test out a new show on Foxtel called um, We Own This City, which is a police procedural show set in Baltimore. I'm finding it a bit dull. So it um, drove me back to my fallback position, which is Law and Order. And I've been watching, re-watching the original Law and Order on Universal <laughs> with all those great actors, Benjamin Bratt and all the guesties, you know, Julia Roberts when she was dating Benjamin Bratt made an appearance in Law and Order as a quite evil woman uh, and there's so many others. Uh, and the only other thing I've got interested in is um, Billy the Kid, which is the new one on Stan. Uh, the first episode, to be honest, a little bit slow. It sets the scene, you know, poor Irish immigrant family living in New York sets out to the wilderness to, you know, find their fortune. Um, but episode two, it picks up and you get to see some of the beautiful American landscape. So I think anyone that, you know, like Yellowstone and those sort of shows will love this show. Excellent. Sarah, you wonderful woman, what's been entertaining you? Uh, so last night we watched a movie called The Marksman with Liam Neeson, where he is basically the same guy in every single movie now. <laughs> <sighs> and I watched it with Very my true. in-laws, so I got commentary the whole way through. Um, yeah. And then uh, I watched some of the episodes of Big Brother. Um, because I have the seven screening room and I can actually see stuff, which is very exciting for me. And Ozark. Yes, I've been watching Ozark too. I've been hanging out for it. That's what I've been watching uh, all of this week and a little bit of Modern Family for me as well. So pretty light. Matthew Simmons, uh, you can take us out. Tell us your favourites this week. Uh, not much has really changed from last week. A Big Brother Canada came to an end. That was um, a pretty cool finale. I love when people get blindsided and they're shocked to know that they're going, especially when you're so close to winning. We got that out of that season, so that was really fun. Um, obviously, Survivor sticking with that and Walking Dead still trying to walk through that. The only thing we added to our, our content is um, my girlfriend was watching Suits one, one night and it just prompted a uh, let's start from the beginning and, and watch the whole thing because I didn't finish it. I dropped out around season six. So I'm back at season one and hopefully I'll make it to season is nine. Is that the one with the gold digger right. in it? Suits, is it? Is that the one? <laughs> Kidding, kidding everyone, kidding Meghan Markle lovers, I apologise, it was just a joke. Well, that's all we've got time for here on TV Black Box, the podcast. Remember, you can keep up with what's going on in TV any time of the day. Just head to tvblackbox.com.au. A big thank you to our panel, Aaron, Sarah, Philip, Matthew and Rob. We miss you, Mulkey. Hopefully we'll see you next week. I'm David Robinson. Thanks to your company, ATV. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.